Welcome to our first Singing in the Rain podcast. I'm Rachel Kelly. I'm a writer and someone who has suffered from depression and anxiety. And I am joined today by Marjorie Wallace, founder of Sane, and Max Pemberton, psychiatrist. Welcome, Max. Welcome, Marjorie. Max, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Uh, So I'm a doctor. I work in mental health. I work full time in the NHS and I also work as a journalist and a writer and I'm a columnist for the Daily Mail, for Reader's Digest, and I work at the Spectator magazine. Fantastic. And Marjorie? I too was a journalist for many, many years. I was on the Sunday Times Insight team as an investigative journalist. Um, I worked at the BBC as well. But then I um, actually decided to found the mental health charity SANE, following some articles I'd written called The Forgotten Illness. And um, so now... We run SANE, we have a helpline where we have hundreds of calls every night, we have a research centre in Oxford, and we campaign to improve the lives of everybody with mental health problems. Brilliant. And we just got together, we're all friends and known each other for a bit, colleagues, and we all felt that there was room for something in the mental health world which really tries to be useful to listeners and just provides some really kind of good information about what what the truth is. And we thought we'd crack on today looking at medication and particularly uh, at antidepressants. Do they work? Do they not work? And, uh, you know, all of us bring different kind of experience. So maybe I just say very briefly my own kind of experience. So I suffered two uh, major depressive episodes uh, in my 30s. That's when it started. And I took loads and loads of different drugs and have done for many years. I'm not taking medication at the moment. And I've always been really interested in, you know, what really got me better was it the drugs? Was it something else? And it's terribly hard to know. Um, but anyway, I, I really want to hear what Max and Marjorie have got to say. I thought maybe we could just start a little bit, just the background, like the story of antidepressants. Where do they come from? Um, you know, what, what, where, how did they get developed in the first place? Well, the question that I'm always asked is, you know, well, how how do they work? You know, what what's what what is the process uh, in, in in the brain by which they kind of you know make you feel happy inverted commas? Yeah. You know, they always kind of uh, label these happy pills, and actually, I, that, I really object to that phrase. They are not happy pills. Okay, um, good. They 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 are. Uh, you know, they, they are they are medications, and actually, if we're really honest. We don't really understand exactly uh, exactly how they work. Yeah, I don't like that as a patient. I know. I mean, I know worries lots, me. Lots of people I want say facts. that. The, the, <laughs> the thing that maybe is kind of slightly reassuring is that doctors are actually very used to that. There's lots and lots of medications that we prescribe yeah. every day that we don't really understand exactly the mechanisms that they work, um, you know, how they work. But um, it's you know, more for, worrying, you know, with psychiatric drugs because you think, oh, it's my brain and they're mucking with my that character. That is true. You know? But I mean, like, generally, even paracetamol, we don't even really understand how paracetamol okay. works. Metformin, which is the most widely prescribed drug um, for diabetes around the world like tens of millions of people have taken it and we've only just kind of started to understand the mechanism behind the, the, how that what's works. what's it called uh, metformin, metformin so it's a, okay. it's a, it helps the body regulate blood sugar levels okay. so so although i do understand it's kind of that's a slightly anxiety provoking kind of thought for people yeah um actually within medicine it's quite common that we don't really understand how things uh how the drugs necessarily work okay. the, there was a, for a long time there was this idea of it kind of addressing a chemical imbalance in some way yeah 
we've now realized that it's much, much more complicated than that. It's true that when you first start taking uh, antidepressants, that it does appear to uh, to affect the, 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 the chemicals that are in the brain. Mm-hmm. But actually, that's relatively short-lived. And yet we know that, uh, that the effects of antidepressants tend to start working much, much later. So they tend to work, you know, four to eight weeks, roughly, um, after you start taking them. So it, kind of, it must be something more than just simply, you know, addressing some chemical imbalance. Mm. I know. I I don't really like that delay either, the fact that it takes so long, because I don't know if you find this, Marjorie, but, you know, people I work with running workshops or people are part of the same community that, you know, they find that terribly frightening that they've possibly got six weeks before anything's going to happen and they could be desperate when they come to their GP. Yes, I think that's one of the most frequent uh, questions that the callers to say, nine, say, you know, why does it take so long for it to work? And, you know, how long should I persevere? Um, And I myself have taken antidepressants and actually had found them quite worrying to take myself and I think it's that long long wait period and build-up period and when you're in that state of feeling already a bit hopeless and Mm. out Mm. of control you've got no control now over the medication you've just taken because it's taking weeks and weeks to um, so I think the best thing that would happen is if we can have and there is one medication that is uh, now licensed in America which works rapidly it works within 48 hours oh wow what's that one called it's called esketamine it's not yet available it's not licensed in this country yet but the great thing a breakthrough is working on different circuits um in the brain and transmitters in the brain than the ssris as they're called the serotonin reuptake inhibitors yeah but they the great thing is that um it's a nasal spray and it works within 48 hours on the whole. But yeah. how long it takes Are we going to get this? To work? We, well, I've heard you on the about NHS. This. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think at the moment it's, it's as, as far available. as I know anyway. It's I'm not available. It's not, yeah, it's, yeah, it's kind of just going through trials. But I think we must, before people get excited at this news, we must absolutely emphasise first of all, it's people with what's called major depressive disorder. Yeah. That's yeah. severe depression, moderately severe, but major depressive disorder. It's got to be on treatment resistant people who've tried several other. Yeah. Antidepressants, good point. Very good point, yeah. and it's not yet been licensed in this country, and we don't know who is um, likely to be able to have it. What I was, the point I was really making is that what we need is we need to, but there has been very little change in the yeah. antidepressants over thirty years. Yeah, There's about or, or twenty-one longer. SSRIs, and then you've got the old tricyclics, which can be really dangerous in overdose. Which I think. Are, I had a prothiodin, which is yeah. one of the tricyclics, which was quite a while back. But people say, wow, that was a really kind of scary one to take. Yeah. Yeah. Really heavy, heavy I, side I, I think I, I think I could probably count on both hands the number of times I've prescribed a yeah. tricyclic for depression. I mean, so, some of them are quite useful for... Um, uh, for, for other things like you know low dose for things like chronic pain and or so on. insomnia sometimes as well yeah, exactly. you get given them yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. but i think people have got to realize that that they you know it, it these pills aren't just there done by pharma companies and given out by doctors they've got to take some interest yeah. in them they've got to realize that everybody's biochemistry is different and yeah. that individual biochemistries respond differently to different molecules to different yeah. substances and they've got to work with the clinician yeah. on what works for them and what doesn't work for them they've got to learn to be patient and they've got to decide what risks they take because anything that's effective has a risk mm. i mean there's, there's practically no i don't know whether max will say that but there's almost no effective drug you can give someone that doesn't can have, have side effects. effects absolutely i mean that's of course like absolutely everything um you know every, every drug 
has a side effect. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And, and I suppose, you know, I, I would agree, Margie, that a lot of the kind of what I enjoy actually about being a doctor is that kind of skill around kind of talking to somebody and trying to understand what's important for them, what their experiences are of something and, and working with them to try and work out the best treatment for them specifically. And yeah. I get lots of questions about like, okay, well, what's the best antidepressant? You know, I want to take the best one. Yeah. And you take a long time to explain yeah, to people. So well, actually, there isn't a kind of magical best one. Yeah, uh, that's so good. And I wish I, I, I didn't actually have a very skilled psychiatrist like you because I was just like put on the drug straight away. And my character, I love doing stuff myself. And actually, far from being relaxed and thinking, okay, I'm now sorted, I've got this antidepressant, it made me much worse. It, I know that sounds really weird. So I thought, okay, well, there's nothing I can do. I'm stuck now. I've, I've completely got to rely on my doctor. And actually, my own journey to recovery has been much more about... No, there is stuff you can do. You know, you can think about what you're eating. You can take more exercise. You can adopt some mindfulness. So that sensitivity to different people's kind of, I don't know, I wish you'd be my yeah. doctor, well, Max. No, no, no. That would have been nice. <laughs> but like, for example, I remember seeing a patient a couple of months ago and I was absolutely convinced I knew what antidepressant was going to be right for her. And I could just get this sense of like, sort of wariness with her. Yeah. And I couldn't work out what it was. And we were sort of talking and I was thinking, no, no, try this one, try this one. Um, and actually, I'd immediately dismissed in my mind, I sort of said fleeting, I said, you need to try searching, don't bother with floxetine, and sort of, you know, dismiss one of them. And I just got this sense. And in the end, after sort of talking to her, it turned out that both her aunt and her mum were yeah. on floxetine, this particular one that I'd immediately dismissed, and actually had had this amazing transformation and it really oh, helped them. Okay. So even though for her particular set of symptoms, I wasn't really that convinced by them, actually, I sat there thinking, do you know what? This for you, you've actually really come and sat down. Really, what you wanted was yeah. was this particular medication because you've seen it work. And yeah. actually, so that should actually be the first line for you, specifically you, because for your particular history and yeah. you know your ideas that you're bringing to this consultation, that's the drug that's most yeah. going to be most useful for you at yeah. this particular moment. And if it doesn't work, we can change it. Yeah. I think all this medication is about adjusting expectations. Mm. I think that a lot of work we're doing on our helpline is trying to get more realistic about their expectations. That yeah. They're not expecting the silver bullet that, that comes in and they don't have any side effects. Yeah. And, you know, we, the, what, what some people call the sunshine pills. I know you don't like the word happy, but the sunshine pills. Right, so we're pills, not, well, they're not happy pills. They're not sunshine no, pills. Sunshine pills, but sunshine pills carry long shadows. And what nice. we haven't yeah. really yeah. talked about is those shadows and those shadows are the side effects yeah and um people do have really very very unpleasant side effects yeah. now that can range i remember that oh god you could probably rachel yeah. nausea and dizziness i got, I was, I got on a load of what weight which know? made you depressed anyway yes but that I've, of course yeah and do you know the thing i feel really strongly about and it's the thing that i think very few doctors because it's embarrassing talk to patients about is is the sexual side effects yeah and i sit there thinking god you know you've got you say you know for example a young man or young woman you're in a relationship you feel depressed yeah you start taking antidepressants and then actually no, you then it takes away that one kind of you know source of enjoyment yeah and, you know connection that you have in your life and they all feed into each other because you know you put on a lot of weight well, that's what happened to me and then because you don't feel very attractive so you don't feel very you know conjugal with your husband it was a real problem and then your relationship with your husband might get bad and you need your husband to support you through this really difficult period i don't think my husband's going to be listening to this podcast i mean you know him well, your he husband was wonderful, is but he, you know, he is an amazing man and um, i'm sure that he, no, he, really he, he, he was it. patient he was patient but it's a really Issue, I if think he listened true. to it, he would be totally understanding. <laughs> but Marjorie, just one other thing I wanted to pick up, because I think then we're going to turn to some questions, because we've collected up loads of questions from, from people, and so we want to respond to what people really want to hear. But 
that point, yes, side effects, but also not just this magic bullet, you're all going to be sorted. Because correct me if I'm wrong, Max, but the nice guidelines are that antidepressants are more effective if you combine them with your CBT, your mindfulness, your nutrition, and they work better. Absolutely, 100%. Like, so, I say to you know, all... there is a role for us. You know, we, ha- we can make a difference. Yeah. And I say to all my patients is that I sometimes think it's not just patients whose expectations we sometimes have to manage. It's also other doctors. And and I think sometimes doctors like the idea they're just going to, you know, whack someone on the tablets and it's going to make everything better. And I say to patients that, yeah. that it's like, it's like standing at the foot of a mountain and you have got to climb all the way to the top. Mm. And sometimes there's this this misunderstanding around antidepressants that it's like getting in a cable car and mm. you just kind of sit there and it automatically takes you to the top of the mountain. And it is not like that. You still have to climb to the top of the mountain. But all the antidepressants do sometimes for some people, it's like someone standing there and saying, I tell you what, I'll carry some of your bags for you. They have I'm still feeling got a song. To, I'm they... feeling climb every mountain. <laughs> oh we are quite a musically themed podcast. <laughs> But, but I it, love that image. I love the the sunshine and the long shadows. Climb the mountain. That's yeah. lovely. But so you still you're going to still have to do the work. It's just that yeah. for some people, antidepressants make it it's slightly easier for them. Yeah, and if you're very, of, your so suitcases aren't exactly. so heavy. If you're so depressed, you can't even get to therapy. It's no use. Everybody saying you need yeah. therapy. So we're going to just turn to thoughts that other people have had and have asked us about, and we're going to just whiz through some questions and uh, ask Max and Marjorie and all of us what we what we feel. Um, so let, uh, these, by the way, have all come out from our social media channel channels, and we really would love to hear from you for our eight, eight part series. We're going to look at different topics each week. We'll let you know, uh, we're going to be looking at nutrition next week. Um, and so if you've got any questions, we had a great response, uh, for this first podcast and I've just run through, through a few of them. Um, I think some of them maybe we can answer quite quickly. Some of them are more philosophical, um, Shall we actually just pick up from the end of our discussion? Maybe just look at that question uh, which came in. Are antidepressants overprescribed or underprescribed? So, Max, over to you. What <laughs> well, do you think about that one? I, I feel quite strongly about this because yeah. th- well, th- this is always kind of it comes out in the news periodically yeah. uh, where they kind of you know analyse uh, prescriptions um, for antidepressants and they always say, oh, it's, you know, go, they're, they're increasing, therefore we're overprescribing. Yeah. Um, so firstly, there is, there's an assumption that just because the actual numbers, physical numbers of prescriptions that have been given out, that there is somehow that's overprescribing. Actually, there can be lots of different reasons why those actual physical numbers of, of prescriptions are increasing. It could be people, uh, GPs, uh, increasing the number that are being issued. So rather than giving out once a month, they may be increasing it to, say, once a week, for example. Okay, so it could just um, like so be a technicality be an, Exactly. Almost. Yeah. Um, but also we know that... Um, antidepressants tend to be given out more readily to certain groups of people mm-hmm. and that depression tends to be diagnosed more readily for certain groups of people. And actually, right. this is something I feel strongly about because I think often it falls into kind of medicalizing normal everyday distress. Mm-hmm. So it is actually normal to not feel happy all the time, to feel a bit miserable, to feel a bit down. Yeah, and I sure. think sometimes there's this high expectation that people have of what their life is going to be like. And then understandably, they go to the doctor and say, I think I'm depressed. And the doctor, not knowing what to do, just gives them antidepressants. We know that it tends to be middle class uh, um, cohorts like groups more women than men mm-hmm. um, so it tends to be kind of the more affluent people are over diagnosed with depression and therefore over prescribed antidepressants that's so fascinating however yeah. and this is the thing I feel really strongly about we they also know that the reverse of that is true if you are working class a blue collar worker man 
um, middle-aged to older um, yeah. bracket. And actually they have the lowest rates of diagnosis, the lowest rates of uh, prescriptions of antidepressants, and also the highest rates of suicide. Yeah, we just... So in that, yeah. on one level, we're kind of over-prescribing, but on the other level, we're under-prescribing and we're kind of, I think, mm. doing a massive disservice to a whole cohort of people. That's why I love the podcast. Because you get that kind of level of nuance and sophistication that you just never get in the headlines, which just kind of throw at you a massive crisis of overscription. The figures are quite startling. You know, the hundreds of thousands of prescriptions that are going out and the repeat prescriptions, mm. which is almost the worst part of the problem, is that they don't see the doctor necessarily again, but the prescriptions go on and on and on, yeah. way beyond yeah. when they need to. But on the reverse side of it, the trouble is that though NICE have recommended that the first line of treatment is to have therapy, mm. possibly cognitive behavioural therapy, Yeah. We, first of all, don't know how well that works. I mean, they have figures saying that it's about equal, um, about 50% uh, maybe, 40% of people will have cognitive behaviour therapy and not benefit at all. I feel sympathetic to doctors. Somebody comes in, they may be severely depressed and, and, and maybe they've had a bereavement, maybe they're reacting, they're, they're really depressed. And the doctor says, well, you know, go and have some counselling. But that's going to be possibly because of the dearth of cancers, three months away, eight months away, sometimes a year away. Yeah. And in that time period, there's nothing for that person. So it must be quite tempting to pull a prescription out of the sleeve saying at least there's something for yeah, you. Yeah, sure. So I'm getting the feeling that um, there is an issue of overprescribing. It's more subtle and complicated than the headlines show. And maybe the answer is we do need some other approaches as well. Yeah. Because your point, Marjorie, people go, what can the poor doctor do? Here's some drugs. You know, and I think that's something we're going to be coming on to in the podcast is sort of looking at other ways of, of handling low mood, depression. What can we do? OK, moving on. Next question. Yeah, I mean, this is one I get asked a lot and maybe you do as well, Marjorie. So I run workshops alongside charities for sort of people who are not feeling great. Um, how long should you persevere with an antidepressant if you're unsure if it is working effectively, Dr. Max? Well, so there is, there's, well, there's some, some official guidance around it. We yeah. know, as we were saying earlier, we know that it does take a while for antidepressants to, to work. Not yeah. always, though. Some people say, do you know what, I start taking them and actually, you know, kind of within a week or two weeks, I start feeling better. How much yeah. that is placebo effect, how much that is the effect of the drug and that initial kind of boost to kind of changes in, in the chemistry in the brain, we're not actually really sure. Yeah. Um, I would normally say to people, leave it kind of eight weeks maybe up to sort of three months. It depends, again, how bad that person is. There's no kind of like easy set kind yeah, of framework sort of to use. point, where are you on this Yeah, tier, it just kind know? of depends, you know, what else is happening in their life, what yeah. other support for, um, they have in their life. What I always say to people, though, is if they're able to tell somebody close to you who knows you really well, tell them that you're about to start antidepressants because often the last person to know mm. that they're actually benefiting from the antidepressant is the person who's taking it. That's they they don't realise that actually, oh, do you know what, you seem a bit different, you seem a bit brighter, you seem a bit more yourself. Yeah. And, and actually it's often other people around them say, oh, no, no, actually I think this is helping you. You're, you're quite different to how you were a couple of yeah. weeks ago. And often the person hasn't necessarily realised that. So I always say, tell somebody close to you if you can, 
just that they are kind of aware. And equally, if they are becoming increasingly worried about you, that's also really useful. Because yeah. when people, as Marjorie was saying, when they're in the absolute depths of despair, it can be sometimes quite hard to realise quite how, how low things have got. You know, it's such a good point. It's such a, you know, when somebody's severely suffering from mental illness, it's so much a family issue. It's so not just you on your own. And as you say, of course, you know, and equally you were saying, Marjorie, you know, you're not necessarily going to get to see this psychiatrist. You might have to be waiting for three months for a counsellor who then isn't going to be on you every week. And so it is going to be your partner or your, if you're lucky enough to have somebody who can be there. And actually that is a, an amazing thing that SANE does is that not everyone's got this family support or people who can be there in that way. The majority of our callers yeah. will be talking about depression and loneliness. Loneliness, And yeah. isolation. Yeah. I'm afraid yeah. that goes very much hand in hand. Rachel, what about the um, the fact that people are so suspicious of pharmaceutical companies and is that helpful, that attitude, and is there justification for it? Yeah, absolutely. So that was one of the questions we had. Uh, why is there so much suspicion around drug companies and drug treatment for depression? So um, maybe I could just start on that one. Um, I think it's a little bit what I was saying earlier. You just You just sort of frightened because it's your very being and it's your very personality and it's your brain and it's your relationships. And you sort of think, oh, my God, we don't really know how this drug works and it's going to change essentially who I am. So it's it doesn't feel like you can relax about a drug company that, I don't know, if a drug company gave you, I don't know, a sort of an antibiotic for an infection, you think, OK, that's not that's not actually going to change my very being. So I think that maybe that's why I, as someone, you know, who's had depression, I, that's why I feel a bit un, uneasy about drug companies. Does that make any sense? Yeah, that makes... I mean, but a lot of people have got a rather false picture of drug companies. Yeah. They think they're just making a load of money. Indeed, they are. They have to. Otherwise, yeah. they can't uh, invest in the research. Yeah. But it's kind of... They, they don't they don't have a sort of a balanced attitude to it. The people who are developing the medications that can help people most have to be the pharmaceutical yeah. companies. So to polarise everything and go against them is not going to help the future. But what about, aren't we a bit cross that they've done very little in the last 20, 30 years and we're still on pretty much the same drugs? I mean, it's not like they have put a lot of money or research into medication. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been working, well, I've been working in mental health for about 20 years. Yeah. And in that time, I think you've literally just been not even half a dozen new psychiatric medications. Yeah, and they're still based on the old um, sort of research, which we don't even know how it works. So it's not like it's... It's not like it's been a huge push into trying to really kind of find good new cures. Is, no. Would that be I fair? Mean, yeah, that's, you know, and I, I, I would kind of, you know, push and lobby uh, pharmaceutical yeah. companies to, to do more research, to, to try and develop more drugs. And yeah. I suppose there's often a bit of confusion around the kind of idea of research in mental health. Yeah. Because there is one thing about kind of developing a new drug and then there's another whole thing around kind of researching into how actually effective it is and i think the yeah. pharmaceutical company companies have not done themselves a great service in suppressing a lot of the data that yeah. shows kind of various side effects issues with discontinuation or kind of withdrawal symptoms um you know kind of that over inflate how effective their products are yeah and i think that that has added to this general sense of conspiracy that the yeah. you know, pharmaceutical companies are somehow you know kind of just evil i i think it's a much more nuanced and complex picture than that mm -hmm. and i think you know would i rather be alive now with all the pharmaceutical companies or you know 50 years ago or 60 years ago um uh, you know it is infinitely better mm -hmm. uh the, the treatments we 
have now for for mental illness are infinitely better and that is singularly purely down to yeah, the yeah and i and industry. i think um certainly my experience is that um the side effects topic is that they they are definitely much less than they used to be i mean i think that's one thing where they have put some money in that the newer generation of drugs don't have the really extreme side effects so that's my impression i think well part of the issue i think is that as a doctor you know know, we've been talking about you know you need to have a conversation with your patient yeah and it should be collaborative and it should be you know you should be there trying to work out what's just right for them that is actually very hard to do if as a doctor you don't have full access to all the information Mm. and the problem is that drug companies will maybe do a study and actually if it doesn't produce something that's favorable a favorable result then there is no obligation for them to publish it right so actually i sit there kind of going oh well you know it's only if you stop taking this medication it's only going to be mild yeah. uh, you know mild withdrawal symptoms because that's the data i have available and yet then you have patients coming in going no no, no that, 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 that wasn't was not the case mild. at all well that they've just changed the guidelines they on have. that haven't they and, you know yeah. and, it, and they've had to do it really just because of patients being vocal and saying you know and an organization saying actually hang on a minute this isn't this isn't what we're experiencing yeah what we're being told um you know from the pharmaceutical company we're, we're experiencing something very different and and in that sense i think that they haven't covered themselves in glory but i would entirely agree with marjorie that you know they are still you know that they, they they are doing their best they can i think yeah but there's well, the only source but there's the only source we have mm. of actually improving for actually having the, the the key unlocking the shackles of depression because you know if, if we don't have something yeah but like we that, need to, i mean you say that but i mean we need like a cancer research don't we we need yeah. we need we need i mean i think the we charities the have a role to also to pushing that we should all be you know the rest of us the government i mean the, we, we're so really true. relying on the drug companies but actually hang on we don't just rely on drug companies for Cancer research, you know, I mean, all I actually slightly think that's a bit of a bad. I mean, no, but they ha- the ones that are developing the medic. We we are saying we have a research centre. We actually built yeah, our I own know research centre. I mean, I'm all and, um, you. and we actually do look into the causes of yeah, mental illness, yeah. schizophrenia, depression. We have an American company there looking into targeting through blood proteins who mm. fits what kind of um, medication, what prognosis a person has. We yeah. also look at mindfulness and whether or not mindfulness is effective for people with severe yeah, depression. Sure, sure. But I think there's one other issue we've sort of not looked at, which is this um, disagreement as to whether mental illness is an illness or not. Mm. And this idea that it's just, it's an illness and you've got the people who say, no, it's not an illness. And that Mm. disjunct has actually stopped i think a lot of the research moving forward because well, just, there's just always ex- been opposition just explain that for a second because i think those of us who work in mental yeah. uh, mental health are really aware i think a lot of people who aren't very much within are not aware that there is this real schism and real kind of debate and arguments and everything is very polarized yeah i mean like it's so real just battles one, at the I royal know, college of psychiatrists exactly. and stuff i mean people just don't whole... realize that there's these kind of factions and everyone's fighting and, against you know each other. I, and i've i've had it really personally as well because i i um, did a news night talking about my experience of antidepressants. I got all these people sort of saying, you know, uh, you, you, what, what are you talking about? You know, you, that they don't work. You shouldn't have used. I mean, it is quite. It is very polarized out there. I just wanted to do, do. you want to just? Explain? Well, yeah. I mean, it's just that the, the, there is this big lobby, which says that the what's wrong about mental health is that people call it an illness and it's not actually an illness it's Mm. you know it's either because you've had a rough time or society's done it to you it's all bits of shades of the past your your upbringing or there's or really society's real real social problems or social problems you haven't got anywhere to live and this is you know your this is your response to Mm. 
mm. you know, the, the wrongs and injustices that have been done to you, rather than this is like an illness that's like cancer that's that you've either genetically or for some other reasons yeah. and that, that, you've but, developed. But that rewinds to research because we haven't got a blood test that can prove it. You know, that that's, I think, why, or, you know, if, if it were cancer and we could show a, on, a, on a slide, here's your cancer cell, that's one of the huge problems. And back to, segging back to research, I do think it's something we do, really need loads more money to to you know is there a biological marker well not well, yet are, the latest report that i read was that the, the the american one from john hopkins about the five major mental disorders and i think they came up with about a hundred and something different genes that could be responsible yeah they've not really gone anywhere on that have they not just the genes but the arrays of genes now max you can be much more scientific than i am but the arrays of genes in other words needle in giant haystacks. They just don't really know. And we, yeah. we don't, and it's not everybody's fault, but we do not spend a lot of money in research. And we're yeah. not looking. I wish we would spend more money into looking at therapies and the efficacy of different therapies as well as the mm. um, efficacy of medications. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's very complex. And I've actually sometimes become a bit despondent working within mental health because you occasionally butt up against these kind of you know these very ideological positions that people yeah. take and people are either tend to be very biological so they yes, kind of argue exactly. it's entirely it's a biological phenomena that's all it is and actually i think well actually i've met lots of people i sit and I think well actually i can understand how your social situation has resulted in this. No wonder yes, you're you may well have a genetic yeah. propensity for it but actually the fact you live on the 16th floor of a block of flats and your husband's left you and you've got three kids and the lift's broken and all this kind of like i too would be depressed and and you know yes um you know and i think it's a bit it sounds a bit strange to kind of detach that from the social yeah milieu so that's that like that's what in. they call it like the biopsychosocial yeah model but then equally you know the the, the the argument the idea that something is just purely social yeah. is equally kind of doesn't really hold up to any kind of scrutiny you know just from my day-to-day yeah. -day experience of patients but you know sometimes i just think the whole thing's a waste of time because the suffering is so real yeah but then, it's, but then it's really like, hard when you you're know, kind of for example then talking about antidepressants and then you got a whole group of people saying yeah. no, no 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 and they feel really passionately again and then they're very anti that medication which equally then you've seen some really help some people yeah and then, and then so you have other people who are desperate they can't get off the medication maybe that brings us to our last question which is um about withdrawal symptoms i'm looking to come off sertraline Max tells me that's how to pronounce it. How do I know if it's just the withdrawal symptoms or if it's the depression returning? It's a really, really, really good question. We get asked this lots and lots in clinic. Yeah. The sort of simple answer is that uh, often it's about timing. So people, when they initially come off uh, an antidepressant, if they suddenly start experiencing um, unpleasant symptoms, then we'd often think that that's part of the, uh, the, the, the process of coming off it. So that's mm -hmm. the discontinuation, the withdrawal symptoms. Can you just How, say what those unpleasant symptoms are so well, people that's good, will yeah, recognise it? Good. So, so I suppose the, the, this part of the difficulty is that the symptoms, those kind of the, the signs that people get Mm -hmm. from when they stop an antidepressant can also be very similar to the return of depression right so it can exactly. be kind of feeling agitated feeling shaky uh not feeling very w well in your head kind of feeling a bit dizzy um often kind of feeling very isolated um, um particularly with discontinuation patients will experience often very physical sensations so they might experience kind of these often these zappy feelings they often describe it as kind of nerve like almost being electrocuted down their arm mm -hmm. or down their leg be really really disconcerting um now they tend to start quite rapidly and then uh, when we stop taking the medication and then they are they tend
tend, not always, but they tend to last maybe a week or a couple of weeks. Um, although we now know that actually they can go on much, much longer. Yeah, that's the um, new nice yeah, the, stuff yeah, that's all exactly. right. Yeah. Um, whereas return to the depression, it tends to come on slower. Um, it tends to come on much, much later after stopping taking the medication. So okay. kind of weeks to months as opposed to days to weeks. That is brilliant. I think that should be helpful to a lot of people. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. So thanks for all your questions. And uh, going forward, we're going to have loads more. Um, we're going to uh, almost wrap up, but we're going to share one little idea from each of us, a sort of tip of the week, as it were. Um, maybe just advice, anybody out there not feeling great, uh, something you could go away with and think, okay, I'm going to try this. Um, so I'm going to start. If I think about my day, what do I use most? I think at the most, I use most often some of the breathing ideas and some of the breathing techniques. And I remember a doctor actually saying, when you're really anxious, you're often in the future. So you're worried about the future or you're in the past. So you're regretting something that's happened, but you're not in the present. And I know this sounds really noddy, but basically you can only breathe in the moment. And so it can bring us back to the to the present moment and sort of stop that kind of worry cycle of before and after. So here's how I remember it. Breathing, always breathe in through your nose. The reason I remember that is it's got all these little hairs. So it gets the air to the exactly right temperature. So if you ever worried, should I breathe in through my mouth, through nose, breathe in through the nose, the right temperature and out through the mouth. So we're going to breathe in through the nose, out through the mouth. And the only other thing I always remember is that the out breath should just be slightly longer. So if you're got a stressful meeting coming up or a difficult conversation with your partner or whatever it is in through your nose and I I'm quite small so I can only count to about four or five and then out for four five six seven I was trying to do it while counting but I hope you get the gist I don't know if you guys use breathing tricks but that's one I use a lot um, any a quick idea, Marjorie? Have you got a quick tip that you to just to share? With anyone who's feeling wobbly out there, well, just something is, that might help them through. Mine's never always quick. Um, <laughs> I, I think. Well, first of all, if they are feeling um, very hopeless, then I think they should pick up the phone to our helpline. Yes, because yeah, there yeah. is nothing like getting. Can we have the telephone number? Yes, off the top of your head. Oh three hundred three oh four seven thousand. Oh, 300, 304, 7,000. Brilliant. But just the act of picking up the phone and talking to someone who is non-judgmental and listening to you and not, you know, you may think you've got very small problems, but it might yeah. be quite, quite major. But having somebody there, just uh, not just absorbing and sending it back to you, but listening and trying to move you forwards in the way you're thinking. Okay, so and give you hope. Ring, That's ring very the same important. Helpline. But I would like to say one other way. Whenever I get in my depressions, I, I think of other people who've been in much, much worse situations. I pick out a book like The Gulag or I watch a film like or Chivaga, people in much worse situations and they've come through and they've managed to sort of use that experience and um, enrich themselves and been able to carry on. Remember, 70% of people with depression do recover or nice get to a nice stage of remission. Funny enough, I do that, but I think of myself. 
So I think of myself when I was much worse and I did get better. So I remember times which always kind of crop up when things seem really bad, but I did come out. Well, you just just read the gulag and about being in a cell and then think it's a lot better here. My gran would always read the the obituaries to cheer herself up because she would sit there and think, wow, look, you know, they've, they've kind of got through all this in their life. And actually, my life, I thought it was quite bad, but actually, compared to this person's, it's not, not, not as bad, actually, as okay. I thought it was. Okay, um, okay. My thing. So, yeah, so I, I've never thing? had depression, but I do yeah. sometimes, I've, particularly on Thursdays, I, it's my very, very stressful day. Yeah. And so a long time ago, I thought I need to try and change kind of my experience of a Thursday and I need to make sure I've got something at the end of it to yeah. look forward to that's quick and easy and simple. And this is going to sound very strange. And actually, I was reading uh, today, actually, that there's a pilot uh, study being done in Manchester around sort of giving people pot plants yeah. to kind of care for and look after if they've got depression. Yeah, nice one. Uh, but so uh, I um, and I love looking after plants and stuff. Um, I haven't got a garden, but I've got lots and lots of pot plants in my house. And so my thing that I do every single Thursday is I go to home base. Wow. And I walk around home base and I imagine, because I haven't got a garden, I can sit there and I feel it's very stress-free because it doesn't matter about the drills or the lawnmowers or all that yeah. kind of stuff. And I sit there and I imagine, I think, if I had a garden, I'd buy that lawnmower or I'd buy that hedge trimmer. It's oh, genuinely true. And do you know, so I was cute. there yesterday because I was coming here this Thursday. Can I come? <laughs> yeah, can honestly, I, I love it so much. Base. And do you know, and I was actually there yesterday because we were recording this today. So I thought I must have to still get my home base in. And, and so I went there yesterday and the woman, who was selling me my plants and I bought a lovely Calithia kind of yeah. big, amazing plant and um, and she stopped she said you know you're always in here why do you come here and I told her this said, you know I think it's very good for my mental health and she said she does the same thing she goes to top shop so it doesn't have to be home base it could be any shop it doesn't matter or whatever you like but I just like the idea if you've got one little place that is kind of you know is your kind of refuge that you go and I go to on my own I just wander around have a nice time and I literally spend an hour there and then I cheat myself to a taxi home um, as I look, my little kind of treat. And it's really transformed my experiences of Thursdays. Oh, Can really? I ask you, do yeah. you talk to the plants? Do you know, I often think about that. I wouldn't say I talk to them, but I do I do sit and look at them really... And this is going to make me sound <laughs> a bit strange. But I do sit and look at them and I'll often touch their leaves because often I like kind of very tactile plants. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think next week we're going to have to bring in a plant so we just kind of get the zen here. Yeah. yeah. I, I'll bring photos and you we'll, can We'll bring see. a few gulag... <laughs> Uh, mem- whatever memoirs we'll have a pot plant we'll get a few obituaries out and we will sing in the rain so listen thanks so much thanks for listening share the podcast with your friends let everybody know uh, thank you Max thank you Marjorie and we'll hear from you we hope for next week bye